InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Overconsumption of alcohol by underage and college-age students is a real concern. But what are the factors behind this behavior? One might be the basic need to fit in and be accepted by others. With the story, here's InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. A new study has researchers calling for a new way for universities to fight the problem of underage drinking and smoking. The researchers at Michigan State University say they've discovered the best indicator for whether new college students will tend to drink or smoke. Joining us now is Associate Professor Dr. Nancy Rhodes, the study's lead author. Professor, what was that best indicator of students' tendencies? The best indicator in terms of the social environment is the perception that peers will approve of drinking or smoking. The other strong indicator is also attitudes. So when those two things go together, when you have positive attitudes towards drinking and smoking and you think your friends will approve of it, then you're highly likely to say that you're going to drink and smoke in the future, and we see that they indeed go on to drink and smoke in the future. Were students open about feeling pressured to drink or smoke? That's an interesting question. The way we take our measures is through a reaction time procedure. So we have them in front of a computer and they get prompts that ask them if their friends approve of a wide range of behaviors. And embedded in those are various behaviors related to drinking and smoking. And what we find is that what matters is how quickly they can tell us that their friends approve. Why this matters is that when you ask teenagers, young adults, if they are influenced by their peers to engage in behaviors like this, they almost always will say no, because in our society, we value independence and we don't want to seem like we're following the crowd. So if you ask them straight out, they will say no. And that's the advantage of doing these kinds of reaction time measures that get at more of the underlying beliefs and they can't censor that because of the desirability of responding that way. So they think they're making independent choices, but are they aware of how much they're influenced by peer pressure? I think not. They don't want to admit it to themselves, and they certainly don't want to admit it to researchers. And so they have this concept in their mind of what's the outcome if they drink or smoke with their friends. And so that is represented as a result of past behaviors and things that people have said and observing other people. And that representation, I think, is something that draws them to act in that way rather than a sense of being pressured to act in that way. They are drawn to this positive image of the people in their environment that drink and the positive responses that they will get if they drink with their friends. To bring home the seriousness, can you quantify or at least characterize the extent of assaults and accidental deaths resulting from drinking by college students? Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of data over a long period of time of the devastating effects of alcohol to some students. And I think that overall, college campuses are healthier when fewer students are drinking to excess. And I think that that's the impetus for a lot of 
efforts that have been made to try to reduce college student drinking. And over the past decade or so, it has come down some. The latest data that I saw indicate that maybe it's ticking up again. And that's why I think we need new ways of trying to address it. Over the past 10 years, there's been an emphasis to what's called social norms marketing. So they will let students know that the majority of students at your university only drink two or three drinks when they go out. And so that's what we call a descriptive norm. It describes the prevalence of the behavior. And there's been some success with that. It hasn't been as overwhelming a success as it was hoped to be at first. And my research shows that the reason is that when students are trying to decide whether to drink or smoke, they're not thinking about those prevalence data. The descriptive norm is not part of the decision to drink in the future. It's this injunctive norm or this approval that is linked to the decision to drink or smoke in the future. We've heard a lot about hazing on college campuses. Does living in a fraternity or sorority make you more likely to abuse alcohol? My data didn't directly address this in this particular study, but yes, the fraternity environment, the sorority environment is usually characterized by lots and lots of drinking and lots and lots of approval for drinking. And I think that that's a case where there may be direct pressure to drink. I think if you're in a frat and you're not drinking, that you may be subjected to some criticism from your peers. We're visiting with Michigan State University Associate Professor Dr. Nancy Rhodes, lead author on a study of college students drinking. You say that other college students must be the ones delivering the message that drinking or smoking is not cool and you don't have to do them to be accepted. Do you have a sense of what that kind of intervention might involve? There hasn't been a lot of work on this that I'm aware of. We've looked at it in the context of risky driving behavior. When teenagers, 16-year-olds first get their driver's license and they're going off driving places with their friends as passengers, we have found that it's often the case that the friends are less enthusiastic about risky driving than is communicated in the car. And so I'm extrapolating from that when I say that I believe that that probably happens with drinking and smoking as well. There tends to be a culture of risk among young people that risky behaviors tend to be glorified. They tend to get a lot of attention. They tend to be talked about a lot in sort of laughing kinds of ways that are perceived as being approval. And I think that sometimes that laughing way of talking about it is maybe a little bit critical, but students, young people don't feel comfortable coming out and saying, wow, it really made me mad that you made this mess in the hall of our dorm when you came home drunk. And so where I think the adults in the room can have an effect is by creating a context in which those voices of the people who are annoyed by drinking, the people who are not drinking and don't want to be in that environment, I think that the adults can create a climate where they are able to voice their opinions more. And I think that would provide more of a balanced message to 
students that, you know what, not everybody thinks it's cute when you come home very drunk, and we would just prefer that you didn't. I think when that message comes from students themselves, it has the ability to change that culture or to at least begin to change the perceived social approval of drinking. Might a program like Alcoholics Anonymous but led by students be a benefit? I haven't thought of it in those terms. I think you're on to something. I think some kind of group discussion, opportunities for groups to talk about healthy drinking, healthy behaviors, healthy ways to have fun is a way to go. I think that's one of the things that they're doing at Michigan State is trying to publicize ways to have fun that don't involve drinking. And I think that's a great way to go. And I think those kinds of ways to organically allow students to talk about Things that involve not drinking, I think, would be very helpful. Dr. Nancy Rhodes, Michigan State University Associate Professor, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.